we are free I don't know uh, I don't know exactly how to uh, tell you this and it feels a little out of sync with the morning, but I feel like I should because we're a family. Last night I was in downtown Denver for the Save Our City Pastors Coalition meeting on ethical living. I was walking back to my car from the meeting down East Colfax when I spied this window in a motel. The curtains had been drawn and there was loud pounding music. Inside, I could see several women dancing and from their apparel, it was obvious what their, um, what their occupation was. They, they were prostitutes. Cars uh, parked out front of the motel had um, this printed across the door, Internal Revenue Service, tax collectors. In the window, I saw these uh, women dancing with these middle-aged, rather ugly men, and, and then all at once I saw a familiar face. It was Andrew Tybert, and right back there, Andrew Tybert, who, who did the prayer this morning, who we ordained just... Two weeks ago, Andrew Tybert had like a beer in one hand, cake in the other hand, and he's dancing around. He's just dancing around in this room. I mean, I look in the window and I think, I'm not going in there. So I stood out there in this, it was like this dark field next to the motel, and I just started yelling, Tybert, Tybert, Andrew Tybert, what are you doing? You get out of here, get out of here, Tybert. I yelled until he finally, until he finally came out. I said, Tybert, you had better explain yourself. And he couldn't, he couldn't, he tried, he couldn't. All he did was tell me some stories. He told me stories about uh, a sheep, a coin, and, and some lost boys. And then he said, Peter, why don't you come in? And I said, Andrew, why don't you repent? That's what I'm talking about. Penance. We need some penance and some word of God. So let's pray. Lord God, we ask that you would help us to preach in Jesus' name. Help us to preach and help us to believe and help us to be what you want us to be. Amen. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners, and because it's Luke, that probably means prostitutes. The tax collectors and sinners, and it doesn't say former tax collectors and, and former sinners. Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And when the Pharisees and scribes, now that's a reference to the pastor's coalition, okay? When they grumbled saying, this man receives, and the word can also mean accepts or probably welcomes sinners and eats with them. This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, this story. It's actually three stories uh, about a sheep, a coin, and two boys. And now I should mention that I'm lying about Andrew. 
Um, but Luke is not lying about Jesus. Uh, from the Gospel of Luke, it appears that Jesus not only welcomed tax collectors and sinners, but actually hosted parties for tax collectors and sinners. And in that day, when you invited someone to your house for a meal, they were an honored guest that you invited into a sanctuary of a communal, communal meal. It really meant something. Tax collectors. Having sold out to the Romans, tax collectors and prostitutes turned people into property. That's mammon, like we talked about last week, and, and that's sin. Yet just before this incident in Luke 14, like we mentioned last week too, Jesus said, when you throw a party, do it for people that cannot pay you back. And that makes some sense, because if you think about it, uh, people that can't pay are not proud people, and people that think they can pay are proud, and pride is what wrecks a party. Well, the pastors protest, and Jesus tells three stories about four things that are lost. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country, the wilderness, and go after the one that is lost until he finds it, until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, celebrating. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, party with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy, more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now that is an utterly fascinating statement if you think about it, because are there 99 righteous persons that need no repentance? No, yeah, Isaiah 53, 6a, all we like sheep have gone astray. The Pharisees knew this, gone astray, everyone to his own way. Well, is there even one righteous person that needs no repentance? Well, yeah, Jesus, what about him? Yeah, 53, 6b, Isaiah, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Okay, okay. Other than Jesus, was there ever a man or a woman that needed no repentance? Yes. For a time, right? Before they took the fruit from, from the tree, Adam and Eve needed no repentance. And maybe babies need no repentance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Listen closely. Think about this. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who need no repentance. So if God is aiming for maximum joy in heaven, what does that imply? How would he see that accomplished? Well, wouldn't he have to allow all to be lost and then find them all? Make sure all the lost are found? I mean, wouldn't he consign all to disobedience in order that he might have mercy on all, just like Paul writes in, in, in Romans? And so that as in Adam all died, so in Christ would all be made alive, as Paul writes in Romans and, and 1 Corinthians. Luke 19, Jesus says this, I came to seek and to save the lost. And Jesus just said, well, won't the shepherd search for the one that is lost un un until, until, until he finds it? The lost. 
apollolos, also translated the perished or the destroyed. Won't the shepherd search for the destroyed one until he finds the destroyed one? <laughs> wow. And get this, in Luke 17, 33, Jesus says, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and he who loses his life will, will save it, will, will find it. So somehow you have, to, you have to get lost to live. You have to get lost to be found, and being found is what fuels the party, which is the kingdom of heaven. So if you hate the idea of people getting found, or you hate the idea that you might be lost, well, then you hate heaven. And you are lost. Good thing Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. You know, sometimes when I say, I think all the lost will be found, people will reply, well, then what's the point of Jesus? What's the point of Jesus? And I think to myself, they must believe the ancient lie that we must find ourselves rather than be found by Jesus. They're lost. They don't know Jesus and his cross are the way that the lost are found. You, you know, when I was uh, in high, I have to keep changing my glasses because I need cataract surgery, but anyway, when I was in high school, I was a lifeguard, okay? And uh, I did it for, for a whole summer. And uh, I found every lost kid in my pool. I saved everyone that could have possibly been drowning. And each time there was a little party. And at the end of the summer, no one said, well, what's the point of a lifeguard if all the kids are saved? I mean, obviously, you should have let half of them drown, Peter, so that the other half would appreciate being saved. And Peter, you know what, more than that, I mean, you really should have only saved those that really wanted to be saved and so partly saved themselves. You should have saved only the ones that deserved to be saved. But if you save all the kids in the pool, what's the point of a lifeguard? Well, what's the point? What is the point? Jesus. Jesus says joy. Joy in heaven. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who need no repentance. Second story. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until, until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, party with me, for I found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you. There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And now, this may be a problem. But you see, Jesus is equating repentance with being found. So repentance isn't a thing that we do in order to get found. It's a thing that is done to us, repentance is what getting found looks like, as if getting found causes us to repent, as if you can't be proud of repenting, or it's not repentance, and you're not found. Well, the Pastors Coalition must think that unless you decide to repent, you're not worth being found. But you see, a coin doesn't decide to be found, and yet you throw a party for it anyway, especially if it's a, a large coin. 
And that's because, you see, a coin, that coin has intrinsic amoral value. A sheep has intrinsic amoral value. The shepherd doesn't think to himself, gee, I, I wonder if that lost sheep really wants to be found. Because, you know, if it, if it doesn't want to be found, I surely wouldn't want to violate its freedom. Newsflash. If you're lost, you're not free. Why do we American Christians keep saying God won't violate our freedom? According to scripture, we don't have any until we're found. No real freedom until lost, then found. Well, then maybe God is creating freedom. And we don't have it till we're lost, then found. Well, anyway, Jesus tells this story about a lost sheep and a party that's thrown. A lost coin and a party that's thrown. And now a lost boy. Actually, two lost boys. And he said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property, usios in Greek, that's coming to me. And he divided his property, and in this place it's bios, between them. You know, in that culture, the request of that son was unimaginably evil. This prodigal boy has turned his father into mammon, but, but not just the, the prodigal boy, the younger boy, but also the older. For the older boy doesn't stop the younger boy, and the father divides his goods between them. He divides his usias. That's a fascinating word. It, it means substance, beingness. It's the feminine form of, of, of amness or I amness. It, it can also be translated goods. Well, he divides his usios and his bios. That's where we get the word biology. He divides his usios and his bios, his life, between them. You see, the prodigal is saying, Father, I want my inheritance. I want it. And so I wish you were dead. I want your goods, but I don't want you. It's exactly what this world was saying when we took Jesus' life on that tree. It's exactly what Adam and Eve were doing when they took knowledge of the good on that tree. I, I want, we, we want your substance and, and your life. And, and amazingly, right here at the start, at the very start of the story, the Father freely agrees. He gave his life. Revelation 13, 8, Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. That's the very start of the story. I mean, we, we, we saw it like 2,000 years ago on the face of the earth, but he was slain from the foundation of the, the very start of the story. So you see, everything is grace. And everything has always been grace. For some reason, we just don't see it. I guess we're lost. And he divided his bias between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and he took a journey into a far country. 
And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. Pretty bad fate for a, a Jewish boy. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he came to himself. But what if his self is lost? He found himself. But what if his self is, is the problem? When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish, I'm lost here, here with hunger. Here with hunger, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Why? Because he was hungry for food. And he wanted to be an employee, an, an employee, a hired servant. You know, an employee receives nothing by grace. He earns his wages. And he can be proud that, that he does. An employee wants the boss's stuff, but, but not the boss. An employee works the system, like his older brother was working the system back home. He, he honors the boss with his lips, though his heart is far from him. This boy is still lost. He's never been more lost. He doesn't want to be his son. He doesn't want to be found. He's found himself. He's saving himself. He practices his lines, ending with this line, treat me as one of your hired servants. It looks like repentance, but it's a whitewashed tomb. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and, and kissed him. The, the Greek implies kissed him over and over and over and over again. Well, for this Oriental Middle Eastern father to, to, to come down and run through the center of town in, in his robes, past a crowd that was waiting to revile his wicked son and then grab that son in front of everybody and cover him with kisses. Well, you see, that just required an incredible amount of humility on the part of this father. And it all happens before, 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 before the son can say a thing or do a thing. It happens before the son can repent or even fake his repentance. The father throws a party, a banquet of grace out on the road, just like the shepherd rejoiced over the sheep in the wilderness before he put the sheep on his back and carried the sheep home to the other party, just like Jesus rejoiced over tax collectors and sinners before they were baptized and joined the church choir. The father partied before the boy could even fake his repentance. You know, you don't have to wait for sinners to repent before you throw them a party. Indeed, they may not be able to repent until you do. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned. He, he's going into his speech now. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, period. He gives his speech and he leaves out the last line. 
Well, that's huge in a parable because a parable is highly structured and you can invert it and see what's there, what's missing, and a culture that tells stories knows that. He, he leaves out the last line. He no longer asks to be an employee. He just says, I'm not worthy. It's like the love of his father out on the road just burned the hell right out of him. He says, I'm not worthy. He dies. His pride dies. His ego dies. He, he, he repents. It's his kindness. The father's kindness that leads us to repentance, writes Paul. I'm not worthy to be called your son, says the boy. If you think that you must make yourself worthy, that you must make yourself worthy to be a son, you don't know what it is to be a son. A son is worthy to be a son because he does not deserve to be a son. A son is a son by virtue of being a baby, a baby. If you won't admit that you don't deserve to be a son, you cannot live like a son. And if you won't admit that you're lost, you see, you'll never enjoy being found. Even if you're surrounded by heaven, your heart will remain lost in hell. Well, with this demonstration of grace, this party on the road given, given by the father, the, the, the father with that party, the, the party reveals that the boy is lost. The party reveals that. And then the party judges the boy's heart. And then the party calls the boy home to his father. Mammon is not this boy's inheritance. His father is his 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 inheritance. And, and now you see, I, I don't think he cares about his father's goods. He cares, he cares about his father because he sees that his father is good. He wants his father. He wants his living father. Both father and son were dead. And now they're alive. They party. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on. The best robe would be his robe. And the Pharisees knew that was righteousness. Put the robe on and put a ring on his finger, likely a signet ring. It meant identity and authority and shoes on his feet. Shoes in that culture are freedom. You see, he was not free, but now he's free. Freedom, righteousness, authority, and freedom. And, and he paid for, for it all with Nothing. The cost was nothing. It cost him nothing. And yet that's something when you think that you are, are, are really something. The cost was nothing. And now he knew it. It's, it's all grace. And the father says, and bring the fatted calf and kill it. The fatted calf means that everybody was coming to the party. The whole village. They didn't have refrigerators back then. So you killed the fatted calf and it was a banquet. Uh, bring the fatted calf and, 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 and let's, let's eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He's like, he's like born again. Dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. They began to party. And that is repentance. Sheep, coin, and now boy. Once again, something is lost, something is sought after, something is found, and then a party. Jesus is saying, you rejoice at a lost sheep. You rejoice at a lost coin. How about a lost boy? Or a lost girl? Or a tax collector? Or, or a harlot? Why don't you rejoice at them? Well, I, 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 I guess um, 
lost sheep and, and lost coins, where you see Jesus, well, you see lost sheep and lost coins, they have intrinsic amoral value. I mean, they don't have to decide to be good. They just are good. Well, what about lost boys? Well, you know, the answer may change depending on whom you ask. You know, most of our relationships in this world, if you look around and think about most of your relationships, most of your relationships are based on the record of a person's decisions in time. Most, except for the relationship between a parent and a child. And so ask a father, and you'll get a different answer than if you ask the chairman of the pastor's uh, coalition on ethical living. A father meets his son when the son's a baby, and a baby has no resume. A baby cannot make one good, moral, ethical decision. They're good for nothing. Just good. And a father sees it. Remember when my daughter Elizabeth was born, our second, I, I wrote this in my journal. I wrote, she's kind of like a Jesus in a tortilla miracle. <laughs> I don't know what it's good for. It's just good. It's just good. Breath of God and just a little clay. A person with, without any resume and yet worth the greatest party of all. By the time Coleman, my youngest son and fourth child was born, we'd gotten into the th hang of things and we were ready with a party. A party just because Coleman, we called it this, his, his zero birthday party. A party just because Coleman had turned zero. He had zero references on his resume. He had zero dollars in the bank account. In his entire life, he had not make one good, made one good ethical decision. Zero. He had accomplished zero, and yet he was worth everything. And so we had a party. We had a cake for him, just like we had a cake for Susan, because he was born on her 34th birthday. A party. Call a zero today. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Colin. Happy birthday to you. Okay, now. Which, oh, you got it? Okay. <laughs> what are you going to teach him? I'm going to teach him how yeah. to play cars and ride bikes. Yeah. How to walk. That's Jonathan, Coleman's older brother. And I wanted Jonathan to hold Coleman and party because I figured that one day Coleman, after John had taught him how to walk, might just walk right up to Jonathan and smack him in the head with one of those toy cars that they had been playing with. And John would be tempted, uh, he would be tempted to forget that, that even if his brother is good for nothing, he's just good. Henry Nouwen writes this, we should make a bigger deal out of birthdays because they just celebrate a person's existence. I used to kneel beside the bed of each one of my children and put my face, you know, right up against those chubby little cheeks and think, I'll love you forever. I will like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby, you will be. I'd celebrate just the, the sheer wonder of their existence. And then I'd think this. How could I ever, how could I possibly ever not love you? Well, that was 18 years ago, and 
in the case of Coleman and 24 years ago in the case of Jonathan. Now those pudgy little cheeks have whiskers and they no longer smell like baby power. They smell like man, B-O, you know, and, and each has acquired and they've acquired a resume, a rather impressive resume, but it includes successes and failures. And so it's easy to lose sight of the baby for it's covered in employee. It's easy to lose sight of the miracle for it's covered in resume. And, and yet, and yet there are these moments, these bittersweet moments when they come walking down the road from the far country, stripped of their resume, stripped of all their accomplishments, moments when the world has turned them into zero. I mean, moments when they've failed or they think they've, they've failed. Bitter because those moments hurt, but sweet because I see them. I, I see them. And they can see that I see them. And they can see that I love them. Just them. and then their ego dies. But they live, and we party. You see, I can only exhibit the depths of my love when they're stripped of the idea that they've earned my love. And they can only receive the depths of my love when they're stripped of the idea that they've earned my love. If you feel utterly undeserving of God's love, Rejoice, for at last you're finally ready to receive God's love. Unless you know that you're lost, you see, you can't truly be found, and, and getting found is a party, a party called heaven. Actually, I, I think I may enjoy my kids now, now even, even more, um, uh, than, I, than I did back then because they've been lost and found, lost and found, lost and found. And, and maybe they can enjoy me uh, more now, be, love me more now, freely choose. Maybe they can freely choose me now more than even then because they've been lost and found, lost and found, lost and found. I mean, I mean we, we lost one at Disneyland. We lost one at Elitch's. We lost Coleman at the Safeway in California. We've lost them in sickness. We've lost them in sin. Lost and found. And I've sought them with everything that I had. Lost and found. And I'm going to enjoy them even more because wherever they're still lost, wherever they're still lost, they will be found and we will party in the eternal habitations because you see the lostness is, is, is temporal but the foundness, well, that's eternal. We took Coleman to see you this week on Thursday. My, my last, to begin his first year of college. That's Coleman in the, the middle. Susan on the left, his girlfriend Sarah on the right. We took Coleman to college. And so everyone is inspecting his resume to determine his value. But I know his value. He has intrinsic, amoral value. Actually, no more value, no less value than the day he was born. But getting lost and found, lost and found, lost and found will reveal that eternal value to him and to the entire universe. That boy is worth the body and blood of his father in heaven. And because I'm his father on earth, I get to witness it. I get to, I get to see it. 
So when I look at, at Coleman, I see that baby boy. And I know he's always worth a party. He's always worth the party just because he exists. A birthday party. Many years ago when we lived in L.A., Susan was on her way home from work one day and she was stopped because there had been a horrid traffic accident. A, a man had be thro been thrown from his vehicle and his body was lying out there in the street. Well, Susan said the police were directing traffic uh, around the body and around the accident, but uh, people were becoming impatient. And so people started yelling. People started honking their horns. Uh, uh, people started uh, complaining as loud as they possibly could. When, when Susan says all at once, she saw this woman. This woman jumped out of her car. She jumped down and she ran to the body lying in the middle of the road. And then she bent down. She took off her coat. She covered up the body and then she stood up. She she turned around and she yelled at all the angry commuters. He was somebody's baby. He was somebody's baby. He was somebody's baby. And you see, that changes things, doesn't it? What if? What if tax collectors and prostitutes are somebody's baby? What if every Al-Qaeda terrorist is somebody's baby? What if the person that you hate most in this world is somebody's baby? What if everyone that's lost is worth being found because they're somebody's baby? What if they're God's baby? And what if God throws a party for them? I mean, for your worst enemy, would you want to go? And what if that party is called heaven? Well, if you don't want to go, you're lost. Jesus said many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sons of the kingdom thrown into outer darkness. Sons. So who throws them into this outer darkness? Maybe they throw themselves into this outer darkness. Verse 25, the fourth thing that's lost. Now his older son, the father's older boy, was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, symphonia. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But this boy was angry and he refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated him. That is, his father saw him while he was still a long way off, felt compassion for him, humbled himself before all the guests and descended, all the guests that had been in that village that were now at the party, humbled himself and descended into that field where his boy, his baby, was gnashing his teeth. And there in that place, he showered him with a banquet of grace. He entreated him, please, please, please come to the party. 
But he answered his father, look, these many years, these many years I have served you, I've slaved for you, I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Never disobeyed your command. And yet even now, he's crucifying his father's heart. Never disobeyed your command. And, and yet even now, he doesn't even understand. He doesn't even know what the command is. The commandment is love. Your father, your brother, never disobeyed your command, and yet he hated his father used his father, just like a man uses a harlot. Just what he had accused his brother of doing to women in the far country, that's what this boy was doing to his father in his father's own house. Just as Israel had been doing for a thousand years, just as the children of Adam had been doing since the tree in the garden, that's what he was doing and he couldn't even see it. He was lost. He's alone in outer darkness. And yet, he's standing in the very presence of love. God is love. God is the party. Three persons, one substance called love. That, my friends, is, is a party. Uh, that party, you see, has descended into his darkness. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might party with my friends, my friends. But when this son of yours, in other words, you're not, he's, he's not my brother and you're not my father. When this, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with, with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. You sacrificed for him. And the father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate, to party and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And, and, and that's where the story stops. <laughs> exactly where the scribes and Pharisees are. Sons of the kingdom gnashing their teeth in outer darkness. But the father is with them. In fact, even now he's entreating them Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They, they see, but they don't see. They want the goods, but they don't know the good. And so they will hang the good on a tree in a field at the edge of the city. They take his life, but he gives his life because, check this out, he is the life of the party. But now, in space and time, they're lost. lost sons. Maybe all the lost are sons. Maybe all are lost sons, all are lost sons and, and lost daughters, so maybe no one deserves a party, but all are worthy of the party, worth the party. So maybe the older brother, you see, is worth just as much as the younger brother. He said, Father, you killed the fatted calf for him. Do you think the father killed the fatted calf only for him or for both of them, younger and older? Is he trying to capture both of them with the same party? Well, you do know this, right? You know that the party is judgment. For with the party, one son is found, and with the very same party, the other son is further lost. Perhaps he's further lost so his father can seek him in his lostness, seek the loss and find him, and he too then can be found. 
He's lost in himself. For he will not lose himself. He's lost in his own arrogance and his own pride. And remember, pride wrecks the party. You have to turn zero to be born again. You have to turn zero to enjoy the party. You have to turn zero to enter the kingdom. The son is lost because he hasn't lost himself. Maybe he'll get sick of himself in the outer darkness. Maybe he'll see the, uh, the light uh, shining. Maybe he'll see the light shining in that darkness. Maybe he'll see the, the light shining on him in that darkness and, and just want to lose himself and want to join the party. Well, one son is in the party and one son is outside of the party, so the party is judgment. But check this out. The father doesn't judge. But the party that he throws is judgment. And the father bears that judgment. I mean, if, 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 if his son stands in outer darkness, well, he's going to go stand there with him. If his son chooses hell, well, he'll choose to go to hell with him. You see, the father can't truly enjoy the party if even one of his sons is lost in the darkness. Origen, perhaps the most renowned of all the early church fathers, Origen wrote this, Christ remains on the cross as long as one sinner remains in hell. I mean, and this is fascinating when you think about space and time and eternity, but he said Christ remains on the cross as long as one sinner remains in hell, as if he came to seek and to save the lost, as if he won't stop until every lost sheep is found, as if he bore our sin on that cross and descended into our hell on that cross, and he cannot say, it is finished until all are finished in the image of God. So as long as we say, some cannot be found, we say Jesus cannot be finished. As long as we say some cannot be saved, we leave Jesus hanging on the cross. As long as we consign people to hell, we consign Jesus to hell. He, he said this. He said, whatever you do to the least of these, my brothers, you do to me. And he said, the Father is in me. Well, whatever the case, this father goes to the dark field to be with his prodigal older son. But when he goes to that field, he brings the party with him. Why? Because he is the party. God is the party. God is love. And God is a consuming fire. I mean, that father's kindness, I mean, I, I, bet, it, I bet it burned his son's pride just like hot coals poured on top of his head. The sun is in outer darkness. He's in outer darkness, and it's there that he meets the consuming fire. And you see, the fire is love, and love burns away pride. Scripture says every eye will see him. Every eye will look on the one whom they have pierced. And Paul writes, and so all Israel will be saved. And so you see, maybe God through this party, yes, for his younger son, but yes, also for his older son, so that his older son would become more lost and then know that he was lost so his father could find him in the dark and shine in the darkness and they all could party, all dead and all alive forever and ever and ever. For no one deserves the party, but all are worth the party. 
The party is grace. And the party is judgment. And you know, if I'm honest, I think I've got a little of each of those boys within me. I need judgment. Some of me was lost and is found and so just loves grace. Some of me is still lost. And so it's just burned by grace. But maybe not just burned by grace. We see, when I throw parties for people that can't pay me back, my, my older brother then, my older brother is, is exposed for what he is, and, and he gets burned by what is. And sometimes, sometimes he's found. I, I mean, grace offends my pride and then sets me free to party. I wish we had time to tell the stories, but throwing parties for the last and the least, uh, throwing parties for people in the darkest of all places, and I really mean dark places, I've seen that Jesus is there and that he has always been there preparing a heart for grace. And I get to announce the grace and then we party. And there it's obvious. In those places it's obvious. Nobody deserves this party. But all are worth this party, and so maybe I don't deserve this party, and yet I am worth this party. I am worth the usion and the bios of my Father in heaven. And when I see that, oh, I, I begin to party. And that, my friends, is repentance. You see, when I throw parties for the lost, sometimes I'm found. The party is judgment. The party is redemption. And to join the party is repentance. So the party is your penance. I mean, think about penance for that boy out in, in that field. If that boy had a penance, what would it be? Go to the party! Dang it! Go to the party. It would be the party. So if you're concerned about your sin, your penance is to celebrate God's grace is to throw parties for all and to party with all. Tony Campolo is, a, is an old friend who used to speak at some of our church retreats and he tells about this uh, night when he found himself wide awake at 3.30 in the morning due to jet lag. He had been slated to speak. I think it was in Honolulu and he's coming from Pennsylvania. So 3.30 in the morning, he was wide awake, alone with nothing to do. And so he walks down uh, the street. Imagine a street like Colfax, dingy old street, and, and finds this little diner. The fat guy behind the counter shoved a, a donut in front of Tony's face and some coffee. And then he asked for cash and some tax, of course, included. Uh, Tony says about that time, eight or nine prostitutes walked into the cafe. Their talk was loud and, and he said really crude and, and he was disgusted, just disgusted. And so he was preparing to leave when, when all at once he heard this. He heard, tomorrow's my birthday. I'll be 39. A second voice said, so what? What do you want from me? A birthday cake and a Coke? What do you, what do you want me to sing happy birthday to you? Is that what you want? The first one said, come on. Why do you have to be so mean? I was just telling you, that's all. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should you give me a birthday cake? I've never had a birthday cake. My entire life, never had a birthday cake. Well, Tony waited for the women to leave. 
And then he asked the fat guy behind the counter, he said, do they come in here every night? Yeah. How about the one right next to me? Yeah, that's Agnes. Why are you asking? Well, it's her birthday tomorrow. What do you say we, you and me, what do you say we throw a party? The fat guy thought a minute. Then he smiled and said, well, that's great. I like Agnes. His name was Harry. He said, I'll bring the cake and I'll spread, I'll spread the word. So at 2.30 in the morning, the, 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 the next night, Campolo came back with decorations. He had this big sign that said, happy birthday, Agnes. At 3.15, it was wall-to-wall -wall hookers, uh, Harry and, and Tony. At 3.30, Agnes arrived, and they all screamed, happy birthday, Agnes, and then they all sang, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, dear Agnes. When Agnes saw the cake, she just broke down weeping. Finally, Harry said, Agnes, cut the cake. We all want some cake. Finally, Agnes composed herself and said softly as she looked at the cake, look, Harry, is it okay if I, just, if I just look at it a while? It was like Agnes had turned zero, and Harry had turned zero, and Tony had turned zero. Could I just look at it a while? And Harry said, sure, take it home, Agnes, if you want. Take it home. She said, can I? And she looked at Tony and she said, I, I live right down the street. I just live down the street. I, I just, I just want to take it home. And so she picked it up like it was the Holy Grail, like the communion cup itself, turned around and walked out. And everybody just looked at each other because they, they didn't know what to do. And then they all looked at Tony, and Tony, being a pastor and not knowing what to do, he said, let's pray. <laughs> That's what we do. And so he led them in a prayer for, for Agnes. And when he was done, uh, Harry, he leaned over with some hostility, and he said, hey, you never told me th that you were a preacher. What kind of church do you go to? Tony said, he, he thought for a moment, and then he said, well, a church that throws parties for hookers at 3.30 in the morning. And Harry said, no, you don't. He said, there's no church like that. There's not a church like that. If there was a church like that, I'd join. I'd join a church like that. Well, what Harry didn't realize is that he already was a church like that. Harry, the tax collector, Agnes the prostitute, Tony the Pharisee, and Jesus. Let's be a church like that. Jesus, church is like that. Because Jesus is like that. Jesus throws parties for tax collectors and sinners. In other words, he throws parties for people like us. And the party, you see, the party transforms the harlot into his bride. So the night before we took his life, he gave his life. He took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body, my usias, my substance, my being. Take, eat. And in the same manner, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
The life is in the blood. My bios. Take and drink. You see, Jesus is throwing a party. Won't you come in? You can't pay for the party. The party is free. But you do have to lose something. And you don't have to lose it all right now. The party will help you. You have to lose your pride. Because it's your pride that wrecks the party. <laughs> Amen. Lord God, your name is revealed to us in Jesus the Christ. Your name is Yahweh, is salvation. And you are the light in the darkness. Lord Jesus, you are the word of truth. You are the revelation of love. And so, Lord God, this morning we thank you that your love is not dependent upon our choice. What an utterly insane and even evil idea. Who would have told us such a thing? For you are love. How could you be dependent on our choice? Instead, our choice, our good free choice, is dependent on you, your love, dependent on your story of love. Lord Jesus, you are the story that the Father is telling. And Lord God, at the end of a love story, something is produced, and that's faith. It's trust. It's the good free choice. It's the son running home to the father and saying, oh, dad, I'm so glad that you are my dad. And I just, oh, I just want to be home. I want to party with you. Thank you, father because we're beginning to see it. Lord God, I, I know that I, I, I believe the lie so, so much. I mean, I so much believe the lie, but I thank you that I get to announce the truth because sometimes, sometimes, Lord, when I throw parties for, other, for others, I, I begin to believe a little bit the, the party for myself and I'm, I'm found. So pray this prayer after me. Just say, in your heart, say, Lord God, thank you for your love. And now may your love be manifest in me. In Jesus' name, amen. And so now, if you want prayer, you can come down front. Prayers, members of the prayer team, Matt, Nick and, and Ruth, are right here. They'd love to pray with you. And, and, and if you don't come down for prayer, then go party, okay? And the, the party thing that we do Yes, it's kind of contrived, you know. I mean, anytime you have a program, anytime you say show up here at a certain time, it's contrived. But the party is, is like a symbol or a, even a sacrament of, of a deeper party. And that is that when, when you see people, this is what God is, I believe, is really asking you to do when he says throw parties for people that can't pay you back. When you see people, you're to give them something. You're to give them this. In this is the love of God, said John, that he gave his life for us. In this is love. So when you look at people, when you smile at people, when you go and you give somebody a hug and, and you love them, what are you giving them? You're giving them the very usion and bios of God. And so as his representatives, as his stewards, 
um, throw parties everywhere you go. And, and even today at our party. Um, th this is what I want you to do. Look for people that look like they aren't partying and just go party with them. Be an evangelist. That's what an evangelist is. In Jesus' name, uh, believe the gospel. Amen.